0: Hey everybody, Steve Dinkle here. Before we get into the final episode of the spring 2021 season, I wanted to let you know that the podcast will be taking a pause for the summer, but we will return for the fall 2021 season. But until then, I wanna tell you something. U.S. News ranked Campbell Law School's advocacy program 15th in the nation in 2020, the only North Carolina law school to make it in the top 20. The advocacy program continues to perform well beyond more name brand schools in traditional advocacy competitions, bringing home regional, national, and international championships. But good advocacy doesn't just happen in the courtroom. It doesn't just happen in law offices or what we think of as traditional litigation or trial work. Good advocacy, zealous advocacy, exists everywhere, from boardrooms and classrooms to the floor of a legislative body and in the courtroom as well. When he took over as the director of Campbell's advocacy program, Professor Giotto knew he had an opportunity to continue developing Campbell graduates to fulfill the school's motto of lead with purpose. His background as an Air Force JAG officer instilled in him a deep appreciation for the intersection between zealous advocacy and leadership. And so he started the law school's newest program, Lawyers and Leaders. I caught up with Professor Guiotto and the Lawyers and Leaders Student Coordinator, Marin Lowry, to discuss this program.
1: Welcome to the Campbell Law Reporter podcast. This legal podcast strives to expand Campbell University's mission to lead with purpose by reporting with purpose. We hope to breathe new life into the dusty reporters on the shelves by reporting the content through captivating discussions. Our mission is to provide current and interesting reporting on legal topics affecting today's professionals.
2: Listeners can expect to hear from various hosts throughout the year.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Campbell Law Reporter. My name is Stephen Dinkle. I'm your host for today's episode, and I have the privilege of talking to two amazing people here at Campbell Law. One is my colleague, Marin Lowry, and the other is law professor, Professor Guiato. What we're talking about today is something that I think is very beneficial to everybody in this crazy world that we live in, with learning from leaders in specific industries or just leaders overall. And Professor Guiato, you kind of are uh, the one in charge of a specific program um, at the law school about that. Could you let us know about that?
1: Well, thank you, Stephen, for letting us be here. You know, beyond being a professor here, I direct our advocacy program. And one of the things that we we're looking for was how do we kind of change the narrative of what advocacy is? I think sometimes we think advocacy is winning in the courtroom. I tend to disagree with that assessment. I think it's more than that. I think you advocate in all facets of your life. And so one of the ideas was was we want to develop lawyers who are also leaders, that they can lead their communities, they can lead themselves, they can lead other people, and and advocacy becomes part of that. It's kind of a triangle of thought. And so over the summer, Marion and I were talking quite a bit about much of the civic unrest with George Floyd and and just the, the world at large being a problematic place and seeing many of our colleagues, both from the faculty point of view and from the student point of view, struggling with how to respond. And one of the things we had talked about was, generally speaking, lawyers are not equipped or given or taught the tools to be leaders, that, that we're taught to be lawyers, we're taught to think like a lawyer, we're not exactly taught to lead like a lawyer. And one thing that Mary and I share are both military backgrounds and, and beyond that, military officer backgrounds. And in that career field, you know, whether it's Air Force, Army, helicopter pilot, um, judge advocate, I think you're instilled with certain types of, of leadership education and given those tools and how do you lead. So the idea was, how do we take that kind of training and translate it into legal education and start training and teaching lawyers to also be leaders? And from that point, you know, I kind of gave Maren the reins to kind of take, take it for what she wanted it to be. And she's come up with this great program of lawyers and leaders.
0: Maren, what what was your fire? What uh, really inspired you to take the reins of this?
2: Oh, gosh. <laughs> I think as Professor Guiato said, over the summer we were in quarantine and I don't know about like, I live on this peaceful cul-de-sac, like a little slice of Americana, and it just felt like I was watching the world around me burn. And as I looked at all of these issues that were coming up, not just with racial injustice, but with the pandemic and the pandemic response and our political turmoil, I saw as a law school student in every single one of those scenarios, there's a lawyer involved. Like there's a lawyer in that room where a decision is being made. There is a lawyer making that decision. And as someone who came from a background of being a military officer and making decisions and having discretion and having to follow rules, but read a scenario as it's developing, like I just felt so much that lawyers teaching future lawyers, the law is one thing, but teaching future lawyers how to yield their power when they have so much discretion, when they have so much ability to sway the outcome of any decision, like those leadership principles are equally as valid, whether it's in the military, in a boardroom as a CEO, or as a lawyer in a courtroom. And so I think that for me was just kind of having an awakening of like, man, lawyers aren't just legal technicians, like they also are leaders inherent in the job. Um, And so that's that's why I wanted to get involved and help build this program.
0: Professor, did you have a inspiration as well in addition to what you had already alluded to, you and Marin speaking about?
1: Not really, to be honest with you. I, I thought this was a fairly novel idea. I can tell you that it turns out that Georgetown Law was doing it at the same time that we were doing it. And, and we didn't know about them and they didn't know about us. To me, once we decided to do it, I became fairly excited about it. And because to me, and, and I, I spoke about this at our first Lawyers and Leaders way back when, um, you know, everybody has a background that they come into law school with. It's no different for faculty members than it is for students. And so for me, I think I came into Campbell with a very untraditional background for a law school professor and, you know, having spent, you know, it would have been more normal for me to leave law school at Emory and then to go right into legal academia. That would be more normal than it would be for, to, for me to do what I did of spending 12 years in the Air Force. So I think whenever you come into an environment with a new, with a, a different background, you don't know what to do with that. And so for me, I think when I came into legal academia, I almost wanted a clear separation. I'm like, well, that was my old life. This is my new life. They, they don't intersect. But I think the longer you're here, you realize, no, gr- there were these really great moments and these great resources and these tools that I could apply to this new life. And one of them for me was like, I, I did have a lot of leadership training. I spent a year with the line of the Air Force getting my master's in Air Command and Staff College. You know, so so I was developed to lead. And so to me, when Marin brought this up, I'm like, oh, this is great. This is this novel area where you could take these different principles and apply them. So to me, my vision wasn't so much to turn law students into junior military officers, but it was at least giving them the skills of leadership and this idea. And I think Marin was absolutely right. To get them to start viewing themselves as leaders, I think is the first step. Um, you know, cause it's easy when you're a lawyer to be like, well, I, I gotta be about my client, or I gotta be about my next paycheck, or I have to be about my next promotion, at least putting this idea in their head that wait a minute, they could lead and, and being a lawyer is being a leader in your community. So to me, and, and to be fair, this is kind of my vision in class too. I want to be a voice in the back of their head, right? Like I want, you know, t- five years from t- now when they're in a difficult legal situation, they may not remember an exact event that we had, but they may remember something that was said. So that's my vision is to give them the tools that they need, even if they don't realize that they're absorbing those tools. So in terms of what our future holds, we still don't know for sure. Um, we kind of started off small this year and, we, and our hope is to build. But the idea is to, to one, give voice that they are leaders and then two, to and then at least give them tools that they can start to develop. in in pursuit of that leadership.
0: What is the, and this is to both of you, uh, what is the criteria for, if there is one, for the type of leader that you want to showcase, for lack of a better term, to everybody that wants to be a part of the program?
2: So first, I think it might be helpful just to talk about what we're doing, before, maybe before we answer. So we started out with um, a storyteller series. So every month bringing in a different leader that we feature and giving them the floor for 45 minutes to do some kind of TED TED talk style presentation on their experience, either as a leader or as a lawyer and how the two might overlap. And we've been very fortunate to bring a diverse community to those storyteller sessions already. Um, so we, Professor Chiato kicked us off and we, have also had, you know, veterans who are now working for the federal government and the Department of Energy. We've had lawyers who are chief legal counsel for multimillion dollar corporations. Um, we've had, you know, people who are not lawyers at all, but work in the nonprofit's profit sector, working on minority issues. And so we're really fortunate that sitting in Raleigh, we can pull from a lot of diverse backgrounds. And really at the end of the day, my criteria is when we're looking at people to invite and people we want to come speak is, can they speak to an experience in leadership that gives our students a tool to put in their toolkit? Like Professor Guiato said, like we're not expecting to graduate lawyers who are also prepared to go run a multimillion dollar corporation, right? what we're trying to do is build that toolkit. So just as much as we want our students to graduate knowing about tort law and criminal law and how to pass the bar, we also want them to know basic leadership principles. Um, And so that's what we're looking for when we invite our speakers.
0: Professor, do you uh, echo that? Or uh, is there something that uh, you would like to add? Or if that's all encompassing, that sounds uh, pretty, uh, uh, pretty good to me.
1: No, Maron's absolutely right as normal as usual. You know, one one key thing that I want to emphasize a little bit though was was one of the the priorities is diversity, right? I mean, we've had our share of white guys talk, I think it was me. You know, and that's fine, right? But but one of the things about leadership, you know, that I tend to believe is is kind of taking the unpopular issue, right? Kind of kind of pushing that rock up the hill. and and need to lead on that. And I think that's where a lot of times lawyers do find themselves leading. And it's in, you know, it's in the public interest realm. It's in groups that are underprivileged, under access to legal services. And I think you could find inspiration in these people who have had to overcome or have had to fight and lead to get their position out. So I do think, you know, and and there's a lot of different kinds of diversity. And I think we've highlighted You know, a number of diversity. Um, you know, even me, I joke around. I mean, I'm first generation college graduate. I I think I provide some sort of social economic diversity, but you know, I think we've done race and we've done gender. I think one thing that we can probably do a better job of going forward is sexual orientation. I think is kind of next on on our radar. But I do think leadership giving people leadership tools who need them, right? Who need to to fight against institutional inertia is something that's very important to me. So I think why we have certain universal lessons that that are applicable to everybody, I think it is also to giving leadership tools to people who really, really need them so that their voices are heard and that their community's voices are heard are are something that's very important to us and something that I think Mary and I work hard to make sure are represented.
0: How do you think lawyers and leaders can create leaders out of the students and everybody else participating with really potentially uh, divisive issues. Um, usually, I wouldn't say that somebody is going to say, you know what, insert hot topic, that's right. going to create leaderships out of it. What right. it sounds like to me is that it's creating the discussion, which right. hopefully people can cur- you know, right. pick out of there the leadership qualities. Exactly. But do you think that the hot topic issue just is a better catalyst to do the leadership right. qualities, or is that just something that gets a lot of people uh, going?
1: Well, I'll, I'll jump in on this one. What's important to me is that we're not trying to create leaders. Everybody is a leader. Everybody is a leader. We're trying to give them the vision that they can lead and then the tools that they need to do it. One thing I'm actually fairly proud of, and, and Mary can agree or disagree with me on this, I don't think we've touched hot-button issues. Right. We have not, like, I mean, you're in my class now. Many of you who are listening have had me for CRIM Pro or CRIM Law. There's a lot of hot button topics I have at my ready disposal that I can go down that road to go down. Um, you know, we've got, and if we wanted to really, you know, one thing, like, I think Mary and I could both fall back into the military very easily. Right. And then there are hot button issues in there. Right. Like, I've been trained on how to work in a Combined Air Operations Center, and be you know the second person you know the the second to last person on a kill chain, letting somebody know if that's a legal target right before they execute them. Right, there are hot button issues that we and you know Marin can speak to her experiences too. There are hot button experiences that we can go to very easily. I think either maybe intentional, maybe unintentional, we've avoided those. And what we've done is we've put people who are diverse and have had to lead. But we've let their experiences and their leadership guide the conversation, right? And so, you know, to me, all the talks have been great, but we had the chief legal counsel for Fresh Market, Gerald Warren, come and talk to us. Like, And that was one where maybe sitting in the back, I had a little bit of frustration with the turnout because like, to be the general counsel at at a corporation the size of Fresh Market is a big deal. Like Dean Bridges and I were talking, like that's the equivalent of being like a federal district court judge. It's a huge deal. And here's an African-American man who had to overcome a lot and probably could have talked to a lot of the more hot button issues, but instead was like, you know what, how did I lead in my life to get in this position? And then how can I make an impact in that position? So it's almost these people telling their own personal stories and not touching the hot button issue because the hot button issue is always there, right? He doesn't need to talk about what it was like growing up as a black man in, in Greensboro, North Carolina, to convey what it was like growing up as a black man in Greensboro, North Carolina. Right. And I think that's what we aspire to. And, and I think we aspire to. It's not I what I don't want. I don't want to provoke for prov- prov- provocation's sake. That's not what we do in the academy. Right. So so to me, like I said, I could I have my boogaboo issues. I could do hot button issues all day long. When you just provoke, that's not going to be received well, right? So we want that leadership that can speak to everybody that's universal. So you can be the most entitled person ever, and you can listen to the, C- the chief legal counsel of, of Fresh Market, be like, that's what I want to do to become a legal counsel. Or you can be a black first-generation college student listening to that same talk. You'd be like, wait a minute, he looks like me, he acts like me, he talks like me. I can do this. That's the goal.
0: Marin, you're uh, nodding in agreement uh, a lot here. Um, what's going through your mind?
2: Well, the first thing, of course, is um, we're not inviting a homogenous group of people to share the same leadership principles. I think the first thing is is by including a diverse experience of leadership, we're inherently getting people who have approached problems in different ways. And we're not saying any one of those is better or worse than another. And the goal then is to just provide examples of ways in which you can approach a problem or um, or be a leader in any given scenario. And, and then that gives students the ability to identify, okay, well, when, you know, Mr. Walden was sitting in the boardroom at Fresh Market and he's the only black guy and, everyone white in the room is like, what are we gonna do in response to George Floyd? You know, like you can still take away the same lesson from Mr. Walden um, and apply it in your life. And that's to be, you know, fearless in the face of difficult conversations. And, And I think, you know, again, by presenting the opportunity to learn from people, with diverse experiences, again, we're not saying this is right or wrong. We're saying these are your options. And we want you to learn from these options and put into your toolkit what you think is going to work for you. Um, and so, yeah, I like Professor Giotto said, we're we're letting the experiences of the people we invite speak for themselves. we don't We don't have to sit here and pound our fists and say racial injustice exists. Like, no we don't need to, we're not here to prove that, right? Like we're here to prove how people can react and lead through that injustice.
1: Almost like if you perceive an injustice, right? It, it doesn't so much matter if the injustice is real or not, right? If you're an attorney and you're like, I am perceiving this injustice, I want to fix it. That's what we want to do is we want to give you the tools to do that. I'm not, I'm not making the normative judgment of whether your injustice is real or not. I don't know. Right. I can only speak from my own personal experiences. Right. But I want, you know, if, if you're a young lawyer out there and you're a Campbell grad and you're like, this is wrong. I want to advocate to fix it. It's not so much what you can do in a courtroom. It's how you can lead. It's how you can build a coalition of other lawyers and, and, and lead from above and in the back. And, and that's the goal. That's the goal. So to me, I'm not so much concerned of what the injustice is. It's, it's what do you do when you when you're faced with that injustice?
0: It sounds like you're providing the the infrastructure to make those uh, right. appropriate decisions. And another phrase that comes to my mind is, as I've heard is that you're not telling people how to think, you're, you're actually just giving them what to think about. I'm talking to Maren Lowry and Professor Guiato about the Lawyers and Leaders Program here at Campbell Law. Right after this, we are going to discuss what's in store for the Lawyers and Leaders Program. I'll be right back. This is the Campbell Law Minute. I'm Stephen Dinkle. Did you know that some Campbell Law alum are making history? North Carolina Supreme Court Chief Justice Paul Newby recently made the historical appointment of Judge Angelica Chavez McIntyre. Judge McIntyre, from the class of 2013, was appointed as Chief District Court Judge of Robson County. In November 2018, at just 28, Judge McIntyre was elected to the District Court bench, making her the youngest female judge in the state. Now she is the first Native American female Chief District Court Judge in the state of North Carolina. But that's not all. Governor Cooper appointed Rashad Hotour, Class of 2011, as a district court judge in the Wake County Judicial District Court. The online publication, Yemenis of America, has announced that Hotur is the first Yemeni-American to become a judge in the United States. Hotur was appointed to fill the vacant seat of former Judge Michael Denning. That's just another example of Campbell Law alumni leading with purpose.
2: This is the Campbell Law Reporter.
0: And we're back to the second half of our discussion about the lawyers and leaders program here at Campbell Law. I have the privilege of talking to Marin Lowry and Professor Guiato, and I'm just going to throw this one out there, guys. What do you What do you think about the program so far? What have been your challenges about putting it together? Specifically, how have the challenges been um, with dealing with COVID? I'll start and then
1: Maren can kind of take over. One, you know, I, I have to say I'm, I'm super appreciative of the dean. Dean Leonard has supported the program and so he allows us to meet in person. That was issue number one was, was what can we do in a COVID world? And, and so the first issue, one, the first issue was can we even do this? And and the dean was supportive and then on top of that, we're able to meet in person. So you know, we've had one event a month for the most part. I think we've had one special event mixed in, um, but we do one event every month, which is a speaker. And, and we've been able to kind of do that high flex where, you know, we have the speaker there and then we have people watching in person. And then we also have people on Blackboard. And Merrick can kind of speak more to this. I, I think the issue has been getting the speakers here. So it's been kind of it, it, generally speaking, if it's somebody from the school, like when I did it, and when Nia Fonville and when Ashley Campbell, we were all in person. When we've had the guest speakers from outside, they've appeared remotely. And I do think something's lost for that, right? I think something is lost when the person isn't there. So to me, that's kind of been the big COVID struggle. Also, too, you know, the the reality is 50% of the student population is not in the building, you know, which is great to have the the people at home, but we do we do miss out, I think, on having everybody in the same room.
0: Maren, what do you think?
2: I think there's I don't know. I like don't envy the instructors who are doing high flex learning and are like worried because you get so much feedback from being in person. And so when there's only like 5 people in the room or 15 people in a big room spread out and then there's however many people there are online like I kind of feel like are they getting it? Like is this helping? Is this worthwhile? but I think we just have to trust that the people who are volunteering their time online are like there to actually engage and trust that the people who are showing up in person are there to engage. And then I think weirdly like booking speakers with the option to go online makes it easier to get them. But then yes, like what does it take away in terms of a presentation? I don't know. Although I think we're getting pretty good at making a robust experience, even when the speaker's online. And then I think just from a coordination aspect, like the first few events were hard just because it was like professor and me doing all the work. Um, But the beautiful part about being at Campbell law is that so like our students are super involved and I can't tell you the number of people who came up to me after that first and second event and said, Maren, what can I do to help? And so we've got a steering committee put together now of two L's and then a handful of one L's that help us just kind of do like the grunt work of like putting the food out and cleaning up afterwards. And so that part has been really rewarding for me is to get to be on a steering committee with other students who are passionate about this.
0: Do you think that this like the whole student body? I know there's never going to be a scenario where everybody shows up, but do you think there's ever going to be like a topic where you're going to just be blown out of the waters of how many people do show up? Well, putting on my professor hat, more people should show up. More people should care
1: about this. More people should be invested in this. I I honestly believe that. I, I do think... You know, and you guys heard me make the spiel in class. At some point, you have to make choices. You have to make choices about the type of student you want to be. You have to make choices about what type of lawyer you want to be and if you want to lead. So to me, this is one of the rare times in your life where you're going to get free training and free opportunities to to think and hear people talk. So maybe it's just me being a little bit old and surly today, but more students should be attending these and should be more engaged in them. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's the magic question, Stephen, that I ask myself as a professor a lot. Is there one issue that's going to drive out interest? I don't know. You know, two years ago, you know, we had a student, Robin Sanders, who brought in one of the speakers from the Central Park Five, and that turned into a huge event. You know, there, there's something aspirational to that. I think Mary and I have talked about, you know, kind of our long term vision when COVID's gone, you know, or at least under control, right, because it's never going to go away. When we get to the point where we have large gatherings, you know, I would love to bring in somebody very, very prominent and somebody whose name alone will bring people in and, and to take advantage of that, right, to take advantage of it and to have a huge turnout so that people can see what we're doing. But I'm also perfectly happy keeping it small and having the 20 to 30 students who come every month because um, to me, I mean, if we make a difference with one student, then it's all worthwhile. But no, I mean, it would be fantastic to have one big issue that we bring in a nationally prominent speaker and and it's, you know, 600 people there. Will that happen? I don't know. I don't know.
0: Marin, do you think, um, you know, from you have the position of being somebody involved in the program, but also you're at the same, uh, you know, interaction with the students since you are one. Do you think it's possible that we could have uh, um, a massive turnout like that uh, event that uh, Professor was alluding to? Or do you think that's just uh, something that's going to happen when um, COVID's gone?
2: I think it's possible. I think it is aspirational. I think for me, so fun fact, I spent like almost a year as a youth director before I came to law school in this weird interim period of my life and i got really discouraged because there were like 25 kids who came to youth group regu- regularly and then i took over the program and there were like 12. and i was really discouraged because the n- the number meant something to me the metric meant something. um but then i realized that the conversation i could have with 12 kids as opposed to 25 kids was very different. and so while I would love to have a big blowout event and like prove how important this is to the masses, I think I've I've become really comfortable with the idea that I would rather have deeper, m- more meaningful conversation with fewer people than um, perhaps a less deep conversation with more people. And again, like I'm I'm about the students who are committed to showing up and building their toolbox. And if that's 20 students or if that's 65 students or 100 students, then great. Like we're going to keep programming this to be a diverse experience for students to build leadership tools, no matter the number. Do you guys think
0: that this program could uh, work together with other uh, groups um, within the school to kind of uh, um, kill two birds with one stone, so to say?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's something that's on our radar. Um, you know, it, it wasn't an official working together thing, but, you know, on Veterans Day, you know, you're perfectly honest, our school doesn't have a great history of doing stuff for Veterans Day. Um, so we did a special lawyers and leaders, and we had, I think, four of our veterans kind of talk about their experience and how it impacted them from law school. It wasn't officially co-sponsored with Milsa, but I think there's a lot of interaction between the two. The the tension is, and I mean, this is just being honest, is that, you know, student organizations have a lot of restrictions placed upon them because of COVID. We don't because this falls under the advocacy program and under more of the faculty supervision. So we have a lot more leeway than some student organizations do. And in, in this COVID environment, we have to be careful not to abuse that. So I think long term is kind of COVID breaks down a little bit, and student organizations can do stuff more in person. Then I think we can kind of work together more. But you know, right now, you know, there's there's always boundaries and limitations and all that stuff. And and this is a non-student organization, which means a different chain of command, which means different
0: options. You guys have uh, alluded to your long term goals, and um, what are oh, thing? Sorry. Yes, yes.
2: Can I add something to that? Yeah. So I think the way I would love to see partnerships happen too, outside of student organizations is some of our speakers have been pretty topical. Um, So one of our speakers was from the sustainable forestry and land retention project that deals pretty exclusively with minority land loss issues in rural North Carolina. And I reached out to our wills and trusts professors because those like estate planning is very important when you talk about minority land loss. And so I reached out hoping to have them encourage their students to come because we were talking about wills and trusts and estates. Um, and so I would love to see where we have some of those topical speakers who, who are touching on legal issues. I would love to see our substantive legal classes join in on those as well.
0: There's a practical thing to it. You know, there's too many times where we're you know, in these classes and we're so tunnel vision about the, here are the facts, here are the elements and, but real world is, you got to learn how to identify it and see how it plays into it. And I think, personally speaking, I think a lot of that is lost on how, you know, we're in academia, here you go. But sometimes, you know, the real world doesn't necessarily work is how your uh, um, te- textbook tells you. Yeah. Um, so yeah. seeing, seeing that is great. The practical aspect makes people leaders. That's because outside of, you know, you got to practice, you know, what you're doing. And that kind of goes into one of the things of what I was uh, going to as on what your future goals are, you've alluded to some of them, making it more practical, or at least recognizing having specific classes, um, be involved. Are there other type of things other than just speakers uh, coming in? Are there other things that you guys are thinking of that can be part of this uh, umbrella? Well,
1: I guess this relates to kind of what you're just saying, Stephen, it's, you know, law school has a bad habit of stove piping topics, right? You know, everything is, is criminal law or everything's criminal procedure. Um, I think leadership skills kind of, you know, flattens the curve and they're applicable in all facets of the law. So to, for this really to be effective, it, it needs to almost pervade, you know, the entirety of the law school, which is probably a little bit overly ambitious But I do think, you know, what I try to do, I try to encourage my my faculty colleagues to incorporate leadership lessons and advocacy lessons a little bit in their curriculum, right? I mean, it's not that hard to do, right? You could put yourselves in the shoes of a party of one of the cases. You know, I I try to do it subtly in CRIM Pro, where I'm like, imagine you're the defense lawyer in this case. What do you do, right? Do you just say, well, he gave a confession, therefore, we give up. Um, So I think, you know, kind of finding ways to kind of percolate it a little bit more, Um, personally, as a professor, I would like to offer a class in it. Um, I think that's kind of maybe potentially on the radar, like a two hour seminar, um, to look at how you can apply these to legal principles. Um, and then that to me is kind of, you know, to keep on doing the leadership series to incorporate an academic component to it in terms of the class or a seminar. Um, and I think Marin can kind of talk about some other things that we already have planned and that we're kind of trending towards in the future too.
2: Aaron, he yeah. called you out. <laughs> yeah, he, he did call me out. Um, so actually coming up this March on the 16th, which is one of our spring pause days, um, that evening we're doing a movie night. And so Diane Ford, one of our steering committee members, has put together a really robust program where we'll, we will watch a movie together, stream online, remote, um we'll have like goodie bags for you to come pick up to accompany your movie watching experience um and then we'll do breakout rooms and we'll have some facilitators go through discussion topics because you know it's one thing to listen to a speaker and take away what you will from it it's another to engage deeply in conversation with a small group so that's what we'll be doing in march um and then next year we'll be launching a book club um so more details to follow on that, but we'll have a book club and then a, a separate guest speaker solely to discuss that book and do kind of a, you know, book club-esque dialogue. Um, so we're we're starting to incorporate more than just kind of the passive absorption of a guest speaker and into that discussion with fellow students.
0: That's really great because, you know, Spicing it up a little bit, especially when we're just inundated by so much stuff, is, is, is really how you can get people engaged in, and adapt to the world that we live in, especially now. And um, that'll be cool to hear about uh, the separation out in groups and things like that. I don't think I've asked this, which is terrible this far into talking to you guys. How do people get more information about the, the program?
2: Yeah. So if you go on Blackboard, which this is a very like Campbell student specific um, thing, but if you go on Blackboard, there's courses and organizations. If you go in organizations, you can search for us, not through lawyers and leaders, but if you search for the Campbell advocacy page, you can join that. And that's where we post um, most of our lawyers and leaders stuff. So upcoming events and um, Blackboard collaborate rooms and things like that. But then also the Campbell Law Advocacy Facebook page. If you're not following that, you need to hop on it because there's a ton of great content um, that isn't just about the advocacy program. They're posting all sorts of events that span the gamut from um, bar association events and other student student organization events. So um, definitely go follow those two things if you haven't yet. And uh,
0: to, to wrap up, lead with purpose. I want to know what that means to both of you since you are leaders in multiple aspects um, at the school and leaders of this program. I would like to know what leading with purpose means for both of you. That's a
1: good question. I'm not sure how well I do it. I always like to spin everything back on our students. And and one thing Marianne shares, this idea of what do you get when you hire a campus student? Um, and, And my spiel as the advocacy director is you get an advocate, right? You get somebody who's ready to try cases right now. I also think you know we want them to be a we want them to be a leader, right? A leader in their community, and we want them to lead in purpose. To me, what that means is that they have a purpose, right? That that they have a purpose for what they're doing. Um, like I said, we we kind of stay away from telling them what their purpose is, right? You have to decide what you care about. You have to decide what drives you. Hopefully, to me, I hope it's for the common good. I hope it's for the betterment of society. Um, I can't, but maybe it's not, right? Maybe, you're, maybe your purpose is just to make a lot of money to take care of your family because you didn't grow up with money, right? Or you've got, you know, a kid who's real expensive. I don't know. But the idea is that you have that purpose, right? And in, 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 in that you have this purpose. Again, my purpose is the common good and in, in, in making a better society. And then you want to lead, right? You want to lead to make that purpose a reality, And so to me, that's what I want to develop with lawyers and leaders, is people who have that purpose and then can lead to make that purpose a reality and whatever that looks like. It's not, again, it's not going to be the same, and that's why you try to make this interdisciplinary, right? This could be applied in government. This could be applied in the military. This could be applied in the private sector. It's finding what that purpose is and knowing how do you make that happen and how do you inspire yourself and other people to have that same purpose.
0: Maren, what does leading with purpose mean to you?
2: I have to, I'm gonna narrowly define it here uh, to what we're trying to do with lawyers and leaders. Um, So I was fortunate enough before actually becoming a Campbell student to um, have dinner with Dean Leonard at like an interested student dinner party. Um, And I asked him, you know, like, what's your vision for Campbell law? And he said, you know, pretty realistically, like we're never gonna be Duke. We're not going to be UNC or Wake Forest. But he said, you know, Campbell grads are in every courthouse in North Carolina, whether it's on the bench or behind council tables. We're in so many of the corporate areas um, that are central to North Carolina economies. We're all over the state legislature. We're all over north carolina and so for me like as an as a newly minted north carolinian like i'm a i'm a transplant here um but i plan on making it my home like i care about the future of north carolina and so i care as a student as being a campbell grad that fellow campbell grads when we take those places in north carolina that we're acting in the best interest of north carolinians that that we're leading this state because again, like Duke grads come into North Carolina and then leave, but Campbell grads don't. We stay here and we serve this this state and this community. And so um, for lawyers and leaders, you know, I think we, I am trying to say like, I want you to lead with purpose for the betterment of North Carolina.
0: Well, both of you, thank you very much for taking the time uh, out of your guys' busy schedules. Um, I can't say thank you enough. Um, I don't know how you guys do it because my I, I'm already losing my hair. It would be long gone by if I had the um, calendars that you guys have. So not well on my end. That's how I handle it. <laughs> well, is uh, uh, up to uh, interpretation, right? But uh, thank you very much. He's, what is that below
1: face? average in many different things?
0: Hey. <laughs> There's some a wise person told me, you know, keep expectations low so you can always shatter expectations of other people. <laughs>
2: um, what's that uh, Facebook page again? It's the Campbell Law Advocacy Program.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you guys very, very much for your guys's time talking about uh, this wonderful program. If you guys don't know about it, shame on you. You guys have to uh, check it out. Lawyers and leaders at Campbell Law. Thank you.
2: Okay, thank, thank you, Stephen. You.
0: Thank you for listening to the Campbell Law Reporter podcast.
1: We look forward to you joining us every other Wednesday at 7 a.m. for a new episode, which can be accessed through your preferred podcasting listening platform.